Well, when my mom prays, things happen. Uh, there are a lot of stories I could tell. I thought of many, many stories this week. But the first one I think that came to mind was that time years ago when there was a troublesome staff member at my parents' church. Church, staff, and elders have tried to talk to the guy, but things hadn't changed. Things were not well. It would have been too costly for the church to fire him. So what to do? Well, my parents and another couple got together one afternoon to pray. My mom prayed very specifically and boldly that this guy would simply find something else, another opportunity would come up, and that he would move along graciously for the good of the church. And what do you know? I think it was that very next day that he went to the church staff and said, Something's come up, I found another opportunity, and I'm moving along. My mom has been praying for me since before the day I was born. She prayed that I would come to faith in Christ. Check. She prayed before I was born that I would marry a godly spouse. Check. I do think she also prayed that I would become a great artist. So maybe not all my mom's prayer requests come true. I know that God loves to hear moms pray for their kids. There's something powerful about the prayer of a mother for her child. God loves to answer a prayer that is rooted deep in love. And there's nothing like the love of a mother for her child. Here on Mother's Day, my prayer for us is that we would imitate godly mothers by fervently praying, who fervently pray for their children. Obviously, many of us are not mothers, but I pray that here in this church, that we would fervently pray for the Heavenly Father's children, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This morning, we want to conclude this four-part sermon series on how to pray. And we will consider how the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'd invite you to turn there now. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Let's listen to how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, here's my main idea out of this amazing prayer in Ephesians 3. 
pray that this church would grow in our experience of our union with Christ. Pray that this church or your church would grow in our experience of our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is not something that is meant to be experienced on our own individually. We must pray together with all the saints that we might experience the power, the knowledge, and the glory of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is how Paul prays for his spiritual children at the church in Ephesus. And so those are the three ways we can pray for one another in the church. Pray for power. Pray for knowledge of his love and for glory. Power, knowledge, glory. Those are my three points. Might be good to write them down now. When we know the power, the knowledge, and the love of God and of Christ in us, we together can experience all the fullness of God dwelling in us as a church. If you didn't notice, as I read through, this is one dense theological prayer. So we're going to walk through this prayer line by line. We're going to try to put the lines up on the slides so that we don't get lost. But as we know, we can't always trust technology, but we can't trust our Bibles. So I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we walk through this passage. So let's dive in. First, Paul prays for power. Point one, power. In chapter 3, verses 14 through the first part of 17. But before we get to Paul's request for power specifically in verse 16, we have Paul readying himself to pray in verse 14 and 15. For this reason. For this reason. What is the reason? Why does Paul pray? He already prayed back in chapter 1. Do we really need another prayer? Just a couple chapters later. The one back in chapter 1 seemed pretty good to me. In that prayer, Paul prayed that the church would know who they are in Christ. Namely, that they who were once dead in their sins and their trespasses have now been made alive in Christ Jesus. And not just individually made alive, but they have been joined together. Lost Jews and lost Gentiles have been saved and brought together into one body, the church. This church, we learn, is God's dwelling place by his spirit and how God reveals his multifaceted wisdom to the watching world and the spiritual authorities. This is who you are, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus. This is who the church is. I'd encourage you to read Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1 through 3 later this afternoon, and consider your identity as a child of God and as the church of God and dwelt by his spirit. God has done everything necessary to accomplish our unity in the church through the cross of Christ. Now, considering what God has done in the church through his son, Paul kneels. I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul may be confident and bold to come to the throne of grace, like we see before verse 14 and 15, but he doesn't come waltzing into God's throne room like he owns the place. He kneels. Maybe not literally, but he recognizes the power and the authority to, to the one to whom he prays. He is our Father, from whom every created being finds their origin and identity in heaven and earth. He gave us our identity as God's people. We didn't earn it. It's a gift to be named by this all-powerful king and father 
who cares for us. So this is how Paul comes before the Father. Now, we finally come to his main petition in verse 16. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. Paul may be kneeling, but he isn't bashful. He goes big. He asks that God would grant his requests according to the riches of God's glory. I want you to notice that, that he doesn't say out of the riches of God's glory, but according to the riches of God's glory. Think of it this way with me. Imagine if you asked Elon Musk for a gift. And he said, sure, here's a Tesla. He would be supplying you a gift out of his riches, right? He can afford it. He's not going to miss just one Tesla. But imagine if Elon Musk were to give according to his riches. That would be more like giving you shared ownership in Tesla, SpaceX, and maybe even a few spots on Starship to Mars for you and your friends. Paul asks that God the Father would grant this request for the church in Ephesus according to his infinite riches and glory. And friends, God's glory is greater than all the riches in this world. Asking God to give according to his glory makes me think of Moses' requests of God in Exodus 33. Moses asks God, God, show me your glory. And what does God do? He hides Moses in a rock and he reveals to Moses his glorious name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So here in Ephesians 3, Paul asks God not for some of God's riches. Please, God, I know you're busy, but can you just saw me off a hunk of your glory and lob it down here, please? No. He asks that God would grant this request in matching with the infinite riches of his glorious name. What might it look like for us to begin our prayers with this kind of expectation and this kind of boldness? God the Father who named us and has given us our identity calls us to go big when we come before him. He has already shown us grace, compassion, and goodness in his son Jesus Christ. So how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Well, considering the Father's generosity to us, what should we ask for? We're like, well, with that kind of blank check, uh, I've got some things that I've been wanting. I've been uh, surfing Amazon, and I have some ideas. Now, let's see what Paul asked for for this church. That they be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. So here is Paul's main prayer request in verse 16. Paul prays for power. Paul prays for power. More specifically, that they might be strengthened with power. The word for power in the Greek is dunamis, from which we get our word for dynamite. But Paul is not praying that this church would blow up. He prays for power to strengthen them. That is, equip or make competent to give them the mighty ability to accomplish a task. And here at the end of verse 16, we see how the church will be strengthened with power for the task that God has in mind. He will strengthen 
the church through the spirit. We've been singing about this this morning, haven't we? And all throughout scripture, we see the spirit is the spirit of power. From the very beginning, Genesis 1, it was the spirit of God who created the heavens and the earth. It was through the spirit that God strengthened Samson to bring judgment on the Philistines. It was through the spirit of God that the son of God was strengthened for his earthly ministry at his baptism. It is by the spirit that the fearful disciples were emboldened to preach the good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. And we trust that it's the same spirit who will equip and strengthen Stephen and Annalisa Riley as they go in God's power through his spirit to Erbil to be ministers of the gospel. So if Paul prays that God would strengthen us with this kind of dynamite power to accomplish the task, what might this task be? What is God calling us to do with this kind of power? Move mountains? Heal people? Look at verse 17. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Maybe not what you're expecting. All that power according to all of God's glorious riches, so that God might do something he's already done, right? It's like if I were to get a genie in a bottle, and my first wish was, genie, make me a husband to Ashley. That would seem like a wasted wish. I already am Ashley's husband. So why does Paul ask for power for something that's already true of believers in this church in Ephesus. Doesn't Christ, by his spirit, already indwell our hearts through faith? Think of it this way. A mom, in her third trimester of pregnancy, might say, I'm very pregnant. Now, she knows that she is just as pregnant in her third trimester as she was at the very beginning of her pregnancy. But if it is her due date and she is still with child, we all know what she means when she says, I am very pregnant. Friends, Paul is praying that God, by his spirit, will give them the power to grow in the reality of being full of the Holy Spirit through faith. Henson, what makes us believers is that Christ has come and indwelt us by his Holy Spirit in our inner being or in our hearts. But we need to pray that our inner being would be renewed each day by the power of the Spirit and that it would become more and more obvious that he is indwelling us and shaping us into his image. We want to feel those Holy Spirit contractions, so to speak, together. Not so that we might double over in pain, but so that it is increasingly clear to us and to others that Christ is shaping us and impacting every aspect of our lives. We need Holy Spirit power so that we might mature and grow to be more like Jesus each day as our outer being grows old and breaks down, that he would strengthen our inner being by faith. In other words, we need God's power to be strengthened, to be more like Jesus, who indwells us by his Spirit. So let me just summarize Paul's argument in Ephesians and how this prayer has developed so far. We've been given a name by the Father. He is our loving authority who cares for us. He saved us and adopted us in Christ, the beloved one. 
He came and made his dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit and joined us to his body, the church. But God isn't done. The Holy Trinity still has a joyful task for us if only we'll call upon his name. Did you notice that we're only in the first point, but we've already seen Paul mention all three persons in the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have a divine conspiracy to continue the good work that he began in you, that the triune God began in you. So, brother and sister in Christ, fellow Christian, will you ask him to continue the work, not only in you, but in your brothers and sisters in Christ and the church? This week, I used Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, to pray for many of you by name. And I plan to continue to pray according to what we see here, that God would day by day be renewing you, be renewing us, to be all that God has made us to be in his Son. I'm going to pray that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit would make us more like Jesus. And I'd invite you to join me. Will you pray for me and my family? Will you pray this for one another? Will you pray this regularly for the Rileys? You know, when it comes to deciding what to pray for each other and how to pray for each other, I don't think it gets any better than this. I think this is gold. And we should pray these kinds of prayers for Christ to be dwelling in our hearts through faith and shaping us more into the image of Christ like ten times for every one time we pray for physical needs, for our outer being. It is, it is great. We want to continue to pray. We were praying for Aunt Elisa for a while, for her healing, and God answered that request. Uh, but we want to prioritize praying for our inner being that we might grow up into Christ eternally. We need Christ to come and make his dwelling in every room of our heart. And we need him to prepare us for our due date in heaven. So praise God that he is ready to unleash all his power to answer and meet this greatest need in the church. So let's boldly and joyfully kneel before him. For we know that he is shaping us into Christ's image according to his wonderful will in us. God will demonstrate his power as he matures us, if only we will ask. But what does it mean to know the experience of his power in us? I think that brings us to our second point and related petition. Paul prays that God would grant them the power to know his love. This is a prayer for knowledge. So point number two, Paul prays for knowledge. Verses 17 through 19. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love. Paul prays that the home of our heart would know the firm foundation of love. Paul prays, uh, this is a building metaphor that Paul's praying here, that we would be firmly established on the foundation, like a foundation of a house. But first, Paul uses a botanical metaphor. He prays that our roots would grow in the soil of his love for us. It made me think of the tree in Psalm 1, roots going deep as we meditate and delight in God's word. How will we be rooted and firmly established in Christ's love? Well, we must first know this love. And I think what we see next in the, in the verses here is knowing this love is a community project. 
It's a group project. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. Because if God has revealed his power, love, and glory to us in the fellowship of the Trinity, it makes a lot of sense that we are meant to know this same power, love, and glory in fellowship ourselves with Christ's body, the church. That is all the saints. Today, in our culture, the emphasis in Christianity is our faith is personal and it's private. But God doesn't merely reveal himself to you, Christian. He has revealed himself to us. In Ephesians 2.22, Paul writes, In him, that is Christ, you, you all, are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Of course, the Spirit indwells the individual believer and strengthens us to be more like Jesus. But the emphasis here in Ephesians, and really the entire Bible, is that the Spirit has come to indwell his people. Hence, and as I think about being a part of this people, being a part of this body, the church, I praise God for how I am able to comprehend more of what God is like and his love, his power, and his glory because of you all. I begin to comprehend the love of God when I see Susie Svensson rejoicing in Christ even after losing her husband John to cancer. I know something of the love of God, of course, when we see Stephen and Annalisa leave the comforts of home and family to go proclaim the glory of God because of their love for the lost and their concern for God's glory. And not just through those extraordinary examples, but every week I am encouraged and I feel like I'm firmly rooted and established in Christ's love when we gather every Sunday to sing of his love, to hear his love letters to us in God's word. And of course, we comprehend his love when we pray, when we pray together. Do you want to be firmly established and rooted in God's love? I'd invite you to pray, as Paul does here, that you would pray together with all the saints, that he might root you deep into the rich soil of God's love with all the saints here at Henson. I like how the British preacher John Stott said it. It takes the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. It takes the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. This is one of the most ordinary means by which we know Christ's love for us in the gospel. We see all the saints in verse 18 is how we are to comprehend God's love. But what's God's love like? That's what we consider next. What are we meant to comprehend about his love along with all the saints? What is the length and the width, height and depth of God's love? I think we know something of the lengths of God's love that he has gone to demonstrate his love for us, that he did not spare his own son. I think we know something of how wide God's love is, that his love is for all people, without distinction, people from every tribe, language, and nation. I think we know something of how high God's love is when God's son was lifted high up on a cross for our salvation. And I think we know something of the depth of God's love, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love in Christ is vast. It cannot be measured. 
You know, there is so much that we don't know about what our eternity with this God of love will be like. But we do know that the sun of love will not set in the new heavens and the new earth. Jonathan Edwards wrote a famous sermon entitled, Heaven is a World of Love. Heaven is a World of Love. I'd encourage you to look it up and read it even this week. For we will spend all of eternity wondering and the limitless dimensions of God's love for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I recognize I've been speaking mainly so far to my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially here at Hinson, because this is, after all, a prayer for the church that Paul is praying. But I know that there are some of you who are listening today who do not know this love. You have not comprehended this love that we've been considering. Non-Christian friend, to know the love of God and Christ is to know a love that is beyond comprehension. For it reaches to save us in all our rebellion, all our pride and selfishness. And in Christ, we can know the joy and the hope of eternal life and the freedom of forgiveness of sins. And it's only at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we know love in all its fullness. If you don't know this love, In the gospel of Jesus, I encourage you not to leave today until you talk to someone about this love. Explore this love with someone else. Today is the day to turn from your self-love and to know the love of God who sent his son for all of us at the cross. My brother Matt Cunningham sent me a quote this week from 19th century biblical scholar Charles Hodge. And Hodge writes this about Ephesians 3.18. But what is it that cannot be measured? It is the love of Christ that cannot be measured, the unsearchable riches of love. It is the love of Christ and his love that surpasses knowledge. We know his love is infinite because of the sufferings to which it led and the blessings to which it secured for its objects, which are beyond comprehension. A good prayer to pray for our church is that we would never tire of searching out the glorious riches and dimensions of the love of God in the gospel. As Tim Keller famously once said, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A through Z. This love in the gospel is not just a head knowledge, though. It's just not something that we ascribe to. Yes, I believe that. But it's something that we experience That is what we see in verse 19, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Do you remember our main idea for this sermon? Pray that this church would grow in our experience of our union with Christ. I haven't gone charismatic, but if I had just said that we would know the power of our union with Christ, I don't think that would have captured what Paul is getting at here. For Christ's love cannot be merely known intellectually or theologically. It needs to be something that's experienced and felt even in our affections. Friends, you could memorize the entire Bible and still not know the love of God in Christ Jesus. You could never miss a Sunday at Henson Baptist Church and hear theology every week and still 
not know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Demons know all about Christ's love. They know about it. But they haven't experienced the joy of Christ's love, being united with him through faith in Christ. This love of Christ goes beyond knowledge for one amazing purpose that we see at the end of Paul's petition here. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This finally is the purpose of Paul's prayer for the church. No big deal. Just that they would be filled up to the very measure of all the fullness of God. The Spirit comes and dwells in our hearts through faith. I, I, think, I think this reminds me of what we were just considering earlier, how Paul began asking God that according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant this request. And, and friends, as we're concluding the petition part of this prayer, we have been reminded, as I just said, that Christ has come and dwelt in his people through the Spirit. But when Christ enters in, when the Spirit comes and enters in, he is too powerful and too loving to leave us where we are. He's too active in power to leave us just living for the small trifles that we're tempted to live for, that we're concerned with, like that home project or that investment, that quarrel or that upcoming vacation. He has empowered us so that we might experience the joy of all his fullness filling us. It's not that God doesn't care about the ordinary things of life, but when he fills you, he changes you that you might know how deep his love is for you. And he fills you so that you might delight first and foremost in his love and experience it. That you might know the glory of being joined to Christ. And glory is the third and final aspect of Paul's prayers that we want to consider. So the third thing that Paul prays for is glory in this final doxology in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, we are reminded to whom we pray to again in verse 20. The one who is able is just another, one of, another way of saying the mighty one, the powerful one, the one full of dynamite power to do all that we have asked him to do. He is able, for he is powerful, and he is willing for his love is vast. But the good news of verse 20 is that he is not only full of power and love, but that it is beyond all that we could ever ask or even think. Paul has asked for a lot in verses 16 through 19. He asked that the church would be filled with all the fullness of God. But if that weren't enough, he can do more than that, more than we could ever think. And of course he can't. For his love is beyond our knowledge. Praise God that he has given us his Holy Spirit who intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. And when we feel too weak to pray, the Spirit intercedes with groans beyond words. Before we know our need, God knows. And he is powerfully working in us for our good and his glory. You know, this, this truth that we see here, that God acts for our good more than we could ever ask or think, Beyond that, that gives me particular encouragement in times of hardship and suffering. Uh, God is way out ahead of me in love, working for his glory and my good. I think, I see things just right now, 
I need this suffering to stop in my life right now. But God is powerfully wise and working for his glory. And his love goes beyond my knowledge of what and when I think I need. According to the power that works in us, God's power that he gives us according to the riches of his glory is seen when we're rooted and firmly established in his love. You know, we we are often in our culture enamored with the the gifted, the rich, the powerful. We say, oh, that, that guy is so gifted. Or, oh man, that woman is blessed by God. But God's power is seen most vividly in a church that knows and is working out the love of God and sacrificial relationships with one another. When we give ourselves to one another in humility and patience and understanding and forgiveness and warmth, not seeking our own glory, not seeking to be recognized, but seeking to outdo one another and showing honor, that is when we know that this almighty God is at work according to the power that he's working in us. So if we're going to be this kind of church... We must praise him for who he is, that he can do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Our almighty God of love is praised for his glory in one body, Christ and the church, bride and bridegroom, redeemed and redeemer, the most unlikely couple, and yet the match literally made in heaven. God will get the glory in the church, not because we are so impressive, not because we in ourselves are so powerful, but because he dwells in us by his spirit. We know the glory of Christ in us now, but imagine what that knowledge will be like forever and ever to all generations forever and ever. I think Paul concludes this prayer the way he began his letter to this church in chapter 1. The church is full of adopted sons of God through Christ. If this is the God to whom we pray, if this is the God who we praise, how will he not continue to get glory as he saves more boys and girls, men and women, and brings them into the body, the church, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? This is what we pray for the Rileys that God would use them to declare the matchless riches of God in Christ. We pray for generations of adopted saints in Erbil, and that God would build his church there through the work of the Rileys as he dwells in them, and that God would join all generations across time and space around the throne one day where our faith will become sight and our prayers will turn to praise. Eternity will not be long enough for the joyful worship of our triune God and what he has planned for all the saints. Amen. I think it's so easy to assume that we are beyond change, that we like hit a ceiling in our spiritual growth, like maybe like an athlete who peaks in his or her younger years. Uh, I just heard uh, that NBA superstar and one of the most durable athletes of my time LeBron James recently said that he'll never be 100% again due to him just getting older and the injuries that have ravaged him just this year. And I, too, often assume that I'm not really going to grow and mature much anymore in my faith. My days of walking with joy and the Spirit being so excited to share my faith, that was when I was maybe active in college, when I was kind of waking up first spiritually. 
when I had more time to read God's word and study the Bible with friends? Are the good old days behind us, individually and as a church? All too often we look back and we think about how great it was back then. But all this growth and glory, knowledge of Christ's love and power, seems unlikely now, seems kind of like a dream. A prayer like this seems out of reach. But as Christians, we know we have no ceiling for our maturity and growth. For we pray to an eternal and mighty God who is at work in us. He is fitting us for heaven together. And he will do this through our prayers beyond what we could ever ask or even think. So do you want to experience the power of God working in us as a church to ever-increasing glory? Do we want to experience the love of God in the, in the gospel so that it moves us to wonder and worship? Do we want to experience the glory of God with us forever? Well, let's say amen to this prayer in our hearts. And let's demonstrate our faith in this God who is full of power and love and glory by praising him for who he is, as we see in these last two verses. And together, consider with joy what he has done. He has brought sinners together in the cross. He has joined us to his son by his spirit. So we should bend our knees in confident faith before the father who named us and ask him that even now he would fill us with all his fullness. Henson, let's not back down in our prayers. Let's pray boldly that all the fullness of God would dwell in each one of us. If the God we serve is this powerful, loving, and generous, why not ask him for more? Let's pray with joy, knowing that God delights to give us himself out of his glorious riches and according to all his fullness. We should pray now. We should pray this now. And I would encourage you to just take a moment to silently pray that you would grow in your experience of your union with Christ. Pray this text for yourself. Pray it even for the people who are sitting around you. If you know who they are, pray for them by name. And then after a moment of silence, I will lead us in a prayer together. Heavenly Father, who is like you? Who is like you in power, in love, and in glory? Lord, your name is matchless. And Lord, you have revealed to us who you are in the person of your Son by the power of your Spirit. So we praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Spirit. And Lord, we will praise you forever. Lord, we pray that you would be with our church. We pray that we would see together that our greatest need is not for more comfort, not to agree on secondary matters. Lord, but that our greatest need is to know the power of you working in us and through us to rest in your love and to look towards our glorious, 
eternity together with you. Lord, we pray that we would persevere in faith, that you would renew us each day in our hearts by your spirit. We pray that you would do what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, we cannot become like you unless you do this in us. Our motives are so often self-serving, so often so that people might see and recognize us so we, we might be praised. So, Lord, we pray that you would come and have your way with us. Oh, Lord, purify us. Show us the rooms in our heart that need renovating. Help us to expose the things that we struggle with, our idolatry to one another, knowing that you have ordained the church to help us to grow up into Christ our head. Lord, we thank you that you are able to do all this and more. Lord, we we pray that you would fill us with all your fullness and that you would do this above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to your power that works in us. And we pray that to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you would get the glory in in our church and in Christ for all generations, forever and ever. Amen.